Welcome to the Progress Portland podcast. Uh, my co-host Kip Silverman is unfortunately out today. Uh, he's feeling some cold symptoms, so he's getting better and keeping us safe. But uh, I am here with David Burnell, who is a candidate in District 2. Where does District 2 stretch? Can you have a Yeah, it's so District 2 stretches from um St. John's uh, down to um the Lloyd Center, the Lloyd District. Um, and then from, it's a little, it does this weird thing. So I can't give you like a, a, a complete boundary, but it's, it's like from the Mississippi with, with several different streets all the way over to like 82nd. So we're pretty physically, we're a pretty large district. Mm -hmm. Um, if I, if I have my, my, my thoughts correct, I believe there's 166,000 of us in this district right now. Right. Yes, I think the the divisions of the city are about equally mm -hmm. about about roughly one hundred and sixty thousand per district. Per district, right? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting process seeing that sorted out. Now, were you on that committee? You were on I that was committee. not on that committee. I am on the uh, it's the acronym being GTAC, which is the Government Transition Advisory Committee. So we we're the entity that oversees the whole transition right now. I'm not sure if you're aware, but there was some discrepancy between what we thought our mandate was and what the mayor's office decided it was. And so we ended up writing a letter to the mayor and all that. And Wow. Yeah. yeah no, I like, didn't hear about this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what was the mayor's impression of what your goal was? Well, so this is what was going on at the time. We are mandated to just oversee and, of course, advise on the restructuring that's going on. And then the, the mayor's office, the other members of the council also signed off on this letter. They decided not to have us be involved in actual structural reorganization where who, who went where, all the public services, right? PBOT and all those other services. Right. They have to restructure those services as well now. And they decided not to have us be a part of that. And so we were a little confused about that process because it felt like we were being taken out of something. I'm starting to stray into some gray area here, but anyway. No, that's okay. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you know. We, there, we get wonky here. Yeah, yeah, topics, I, yeah so. absolutely. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's part of being progressive. You get to think out loud. <laughs> yeah. So... Great. Well, uh, let me back up and say uh, you are running in District 2. Yes. Uh, you are a father, a drug and alcohol counselor. Yes. You are, are you currently attending? George Fox University. Well, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and studying psychology. Still? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Uh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, tell me about why you were running. The reason why I'm running is, if you remember back in 2020, um, it felt like the apocalypse, right? We had we had all the protests in the streets. We had Trump coming over here trying to quell things. We had the fires going on. Portland was smoky. Protests, all this stuff, all the social stuff was happening. Trump was up for re-election, and my kids really wanted to get involved. And I was like, well, how can I show my kids we can be involved, but not have to put them in front of rubber bullets or tear gas? Mm -hmm. uh, that was my biggest concern as a parent. Now, how do I show them they can be involved and still matter without being on the front lines and, and all that? So what I did was I joined the local Democratic Party, the Multnomah Dems. I was elected as a precinct committee person. I was doing door knocking, uh, attending meetings, so on and so forth. And as things progress, you know, you start forming friendships and people start knowing who you're about and what, you, what you're what you good at. You start moving up in the ladder a little bit here and there. 
And before I knew it, uh, when uh, the charter reform happened, which I was very for, I voted for it, of course, the opportunity came up to serve on several boards, uh, one of them being the uh, the districting. So, you know, I did put in an application for that. And then I also put in an application for GTAC and I got accepted to GTAC. As I was learning getting a, a peek behind the curtain, mm-hmm. if you will, seeing what, what happens when the public's not in the building. <laughs> we have this dominant culture where it's, it's as if, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I will fix this. Mm-hmm. And so paternalistic. That's exactly what it is, paternalistic. You know, I, I know what's best for you. Yeah. And everybody likes to talk about equality. We have equality now. We have ethnic minorities in City Hall. We have people of LGBTQ plus IA in City Hall. But they're not really talking about the equity. Equality is being at the table. Equity is being able to speak at the table and have your voice heard. And the way you know your voice is being heard is when they take what you're saying and put an action to it, not just not in your head. And uh, you know, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? And yes. so we yeah. hear you, we hear you, but we already have this program in place. Well, this program is not helping. Yeah. And so the reason why I'm running is because everyday Portlanders deserve to have their voice at the table. We have big names. In City Hall, we have big money in City Hall. What we don't have is the people who actually are just everyday citizens that are affected, directly affected by what City Hall decides. Great. Yeah. And and from your resume, I see, you know, you, you've you worked with a lot of everyday people. Yes. Working in counseling sessions is mm-hmm. very intimate. You get to know really deep down what people really need. Yeah. And working with youth. Yes. Um, so uh, what is your perspective on what Portlanders, what is the everyday Portlander in your district really need? I'm sure there are a lot of different needs. Well, I, so from what, I'm, what I've been doing, I have been going to the local um, neighborhood associations and sitting in on their meetings and saying, hey, my name is David, vote for me. You know, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? But I'm also getting this opportunity, this u- unique opportunity to actually hear what people are saying. A lot of our neighborhoods, yes, the homeless crisis, the homeless slash opioid pandemic that is taking over our city is a very big concern. Mm -hmm. The other concern, though, that I'm hearing is a lot of different neighborhoods have different needs. So there are certain neighborhoods that where the homeless crisis isn't touching them as much, Mm -hmm. but they're still worried about environmental impact. And we have other neighborhoods where, especially like historically black neighborhoods, where things like gentrification are are more of an issue. By going to these neighborhood associations and just shaking hands and having conversations, I'm actually able to hear what Portlanders are saying and not just say, hey, this is what I think. District 2 is the historically black neighborhood. Yes. Albina's in there. Mississippi's in there. I mean, the historically black neighborhood is actually bigger than I think people realize. I moved up here from Sacramento, California. I've been here since 2017. What's your what? What do you feel is your connection to Black Portland and and your district? Okay, yeah. Um, So as you already know, I am I am now six years clean and sober. I was an alcoholic, and so I got sober back in 2017, Uh, and so. During that process, I switched jobs. I switched careers, really. Um, before then, I was blue collar. I worked, uh, I had my CDL, I worked construction, I worked for Snister Steel for a little while. You know, th- jobs like that, of that nature. Yeah. I went to inpatient rehab. It was just a great experience for me to ha- the, with the counselor I had. 
I was sitting there one day and we were having our session and I thought to myself, I really want to do this because he at this moment is pulling me in and he's making me feel um, validated. Like, like I'm not just crazy. Like I'm, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, Cause oftentimes addiction is confused for just not being in control. Addiction is like, why can't you just stop? Just stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's not how addiction works. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I switched careers, went back to school and got my C81 and I had this amazing opportunity to work for a culturally Pacific program over at LifeWorks called The Real Program. During that time, I really was able to get connected with the black community here in Portland. I myself being black, it was like a for you, by you program, right? It was, we were run by black people. We were for black people helping the, the youth out who were affected, not just... Uh, not just affected by uh, the drug pandemic, but there is a there's also there are guns out in these streets. There yeah. are gangs running out in these streets, and we were able to go in there and really make a difference as much as we could. Yeah. And so to back up, everybody's talking about the homelessness situation, yeah. the overlap with the drug crisis in mm-hmm. the city beyond the ability to finally get some housing built. Obviously, that's that's got to be a big push. But right. what, what other solutions do you feel like are going to be effective? Okay, well, I think there are several things happening, right? So when somebody comes in, and I'm just going to use this as an example. Hey, I'm homeless. I'm addicted to fentanyl. And because of these two contributing factors, I have some mental health issues going on. He comes to me for the substance abuse treatment. Yep. And then he goes to, let's say, Cascadia for mental health. And then for housing, he goes to Central City Concern, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all trying to help the same individual, but we're all siloed from each other. Yeah. Right? I don't talk to Cascadia. I don't talk to um, Central City Concern. Oftentimes, we find that, not that we're awesome with each other, but we're putting too much on one individual. Because I'm expecting to see him two or three times a week. His mental health providers want going to see him, you know, more than an hour a week, and so on. It's, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and the and the problem continues, and so what we have to do is we have to address the contributing factors to the homeless crisis, right? One of them being that the Supreme Court mandated that it was okay to be sleeping out on sidewalks and so on and so forth, which kind of hobbled City Hall. And one of the problems that City Hall is having, oh, now I'm going off on a tangent, but I'm going to keep going with this. Yeah, okay? go for it. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this is all wrapped together. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 yeah. right. One of the problems that City Hall is having is that, and I think the Supreme Court made, making this mandate was excellent, was the, if you don't want somebody sleeping here, you have to provide them somewhere that they're, they're safely allowed to sleep. Right? Yeah. Okay, and I think that should have been a bigger push for City Hall to create not only just safe villages, but create a way for people to access them. How does a homeless person get access to one of these safe villages? There's not a a 911 number. There's not a 411 number or a 211 number for them just to call and say, hey, look, I'm homeless. I meet the criteria. Let me in. Yeah. What do they have to do? They have to wait for Peabot to show up, hopefully on their street that day that they're sleeping on, and offer them a place as they clean out the camp. Right. That's a barrier. That is, yeah, that's totally a barrier. Yeah. That, that's a barrier that we, that is unnecessary. Why can't we have a website or a phone number where if you're homeless and you're looking for services, like just to get into a safe village, that they can just look up on their phone or call the number 
But no, they have to wait and hopefully be on the right street that Peabot shows up to clean the, the camp out. And that's what I mean by addressing contributing factors. So back to what I was originally saying. So an individual comes off the street and he's going to three different places who are siloed from each other. Yeah. Uh, why aren't we doing something where we're bringing it all in together, like under one roof or under a, maybe an umbrella, let's say. Yeah. These are realistic goals that we can have. There is no reason why we can't start working towards goals if we want to address these things and we don't want to just throw somebody into a, a safe village for 90 days and say okay we fixed the problem we're looking for long-term solutions we need to be able to get a person from being homeless addicted to drugs with some type of mental health discrepancy or issue and get them from point a to point z and so that they are being a contributing member of society right that and the domino effect of that right because homeless camps are affecting the environment with the oil spills the trash so on and so forth homeless camps are affect are affecting public safety two to three weeks ago um, a homeless man walked into our living room smelling like he'd been smoking something and he thought he was in his sister's house and uh -huh. hands on we had to force him out the house so just building more housing which we do need we need to build more housing isn't going to get us anywhere because we still have to address the the addiction, the mental health, yeah, the, the causing factors that that cause them to become homeless, yeah, recidivism, all we have to address those things to actually make differences in this homeless slash opioid pandemic that's affecting Portland right now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and you're you're not the only one saying that a hub or a, a central data point where yeah. people can share this information yeah. is key to helping solve this problem. Yeah. yeah it's it, just people aren't listening. Yeah, the people in charge aren't listening. Yeah. And that's why people like me are running, because they're not listening. Yeah. I work directly with this population. I hear what they're telling me. And, you know, what is so hard about putting together an EHR where when I get somebody in front of me, in my... In my in my uh, office and I just pull it up, tap, 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 tap. And I'm like, oh, okay. I see that he's working for Central City Concern. I can go ahead and look and see what services they provided. Oh, I see he's also working for Cascadia. Oh, okay. He's talking to so-and-so. Let me sign an ROI so I can see what's going on there. We could do that. Fire department, police department, they already have that kind of system where they can just pull somebody's address up real quick and they know the whole history with that address. We can do that. There's yeah. no reason why we can't. Yeah. 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 Another thing you said that really resonated with me, I adopted my son at age 15 okay. in, in Los Angeles yeah. out of foster care. Mm -hmm. He got wrongly accused of a crime. Mm -hmm. So he ended up in the system. Mm -hmm. He got shaken down on the street a couple times mm -hmm. for, you know, being a black teenager in yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the hoops that people who are, you know, in this case, my son wasn't living in poverty, but, but yeah. I got exposed yeah. in group homes and all that to a lot of people living mm -hmm. in poverty. And the just the hoops that they're continually made to jump through from different agencies that aren't talking to each other mm -hmm. is a, is more than a full-time job. Yes. And they're often expected to then have a full-time job. Right. In right. order to prove that they're a legitimate member of society. Yes, yes. While yes. they have these impossible roadblocks. Yes. And straight up, it really is not fair. So I also myself am a son of, a, of uh, I'm an adopted son as well i was i was adopted from the foster care system in california ah. and um so that's that story resonates with me because yeah. i've experienced my own 
set of uh, difficulties. For a couple of years, I was a single, full, I was a full-time single father who uh, had to navigate um, DHS. So I was on Snap uh, for a little while, um, and just the what I experienced definitely there were some inequities going on there. Uh, I was always having constantly give extra proof that these were my children almost every time yeah. I had to renew. Uh, I was always getting called into the office all the time for for things like if you don't do this or don't do that. And I know as a single parent who talked to other single parents, they the other single parents who were not single black fathers, I'll just, I'll just say that I'm going to call it as it is, didn't have to do that almost as, not even close to as much as I did. So I understand what you mean by the, the system. Hello, Portland. I am Daniel Lyman, and I am the host of a brand new podcast called People of Portland. People of Portland is an in-depth interview podcast where we get to know the people that make our amazing city the great place that it is. I will be talking to artists, politicians, musicians, chefs, comedians, drag queens, business owners, writers, and every Portland weirdo that I possibly can. See if you can recognize this famous Portland weirdo from one of our first episodes. What I do, I, I'm not, I, I don't do traditional bagpiping gigs so much, and you know, I, I don't fit in with the, the unicyclers so much, and it's just sort of my own category of things. To hear these episodes and more, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Looking at your resume mm -hmm. and someone who is coming to this election and is like, this guy doesn't have the experience yeah. that one needs to run yes. for government. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're showing here, uh, the main thing that everybody is concerned about is housing, the drug crisis, mm -hmm. homelessness, people on the streets. You've been working directly with these people. Yes. Given your limited experience and the exposure that you've had, mm -hmm. how do you feel like you would work in city hall with with these people who are so entrenched oh, uh, yeah no that's that's actually a great question because what you often find and this is something that you've learned real quickly especially when you're in, a, in social services if you will is that you're always going to have difference of opinions and how you want to tackle somebody's care right so what often happens is that we have to learn the art of communication and you have to also learn when maybe your approach isn't right you have to be able to admit to yourself okay that was probably not the best call. Your your idea was better. Let's go with that because I, we tried my way and it's not working. The problem still, can, you know, the problem is still chronic. Let's try a different way. It's not only the art of compromise. It's the art of just knowing where your strengths and what your weaknesses are. And being able to just admit it to yourself, first of all, and allow SMEs, subject matter experts, to actually step in and give us their recommendations. And oftentimes, I don't think City Hall is listening. I don't. Mm -hmm. Look at what's going on. Uh, right, yes, I know that right, right now, the homeless pandemic right now is politically sexy. It is. That's what it is. It's politically sexy. So everybody's talking about it right now. City Hall is throwing millions of dollars, tens, not just a million here or a million there. Tens of millions of dollars here. Tens of millions of dollars there. They're giving the county $40 million a year. The county just gave us $62 million to the city hall. I'm like, we're just throwing tens of millions of dollars back and forth. Yeah. Where are the subject matter experts? Where are their smart goals? Mm -hmm. Where 
are the evidence-based practices that are, that we need to start bringing our, our pandemic down, our homeless pandemic down, our fentanyl pandemic down. Where is that? We have good some good people in City Hall. We have some people I'm hoping get reelected. I just hope they are willing to hear and work with us who are going to be elected that actually want to make some real changes, not just become political institutes that say, hey, I fixed the problem. Look, vote for me again. I fixed the problem. So speaking of a problem that needs to be fixed, uh, the police. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> let's talk about Yeah, let's police. talk about that. Yeah. So this is David Burnell, District 2 City Council candidate. This is me speaking right now. I'm owning what I'm about to say. The idea of defunding the police. I, I take a big side because this is going to rub some people wrong, but I hope my explanation at least makes people go, okay, I see where you're coming from. So the idea of defunding the police, literally taking certain funds from the police and investing them in other services, I get that. I completely get that. I'm right there with that. What about restructuring the police? When you call 911, a huge percent of the time the fire department shows up. They're not just there to fight fires, right? They're there for the medical emergencies. They're there to, if your house falls on top of you, you understand what I'm saying? Like they're, 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 they have multiple different expertise when they show up. We could be doing that with the police department, too. For example, we don't need to spend $1.2 million every year on gear, right? A cop pulls you over. He's got Kevlar on, and everything that he has on his person is built and designed to hurt you. Instead of spending $1.2 million a year making sure that he's able to do that, why not take that money and train him how to interface with minority cultures? Cultural awareness. Start learning about personal biases. When we, you know, we all cry, defund the police, let's get other services in. Yes, I agree with that. However, that happens and then somebody shows up in my house three weeks ago and I know the cops aren't going to come for two hours. So what if we took that money and instead of a cop showing up geared out, ready for war, we restructure the police and take certain monies and put them into other services that can be under the police umbrella. Sort of like the same thing what the fire department does. Hey, 911, there's somebody on the street right now having a mental health breakdown and they're really going to hurt themselves. And instead of a cop showing up geared for war, a mental health provider shows up. Yeah, I mean, the... the... I think the issue that I've seen through this is that reforms end up being political theater. Yes. Right? That, that, oh, my God. Yes. There's a class that, that teaches diversity awareness. And there's a, a chuckle with the <laughs> amongst the cops who are like, ho, 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 I'm yeah. going to diverse. Yeah. Because there's such a culture that's been there for so long right. that doesn't have that point of view. So yeah, I'm always unsure how, you know, yeah, and that's, how do you rebuild? How do you rebuild? That's an excellent question. Um, well, I think Portland has the, a foundation that we could build off of. Joanne Hardesty did a good job calling, bringing to light some much needed changes. Yep. Yes, there is, a, unfortunately, and I'm saying this right now, there is that there is that atmosphere of the good old boys club in the, in, in the police department right now. And there's evidence of that. How long has it taken us to get body cams finally to start showing up on the streets? Yeah. Other departments have already been doing it for years. But one of the things we have to do is at City Halls, we got we to gotta start working together. We can hold the police department accountable. Yeah, yeah, it might get politically ugly. Yeah. But, you know, change, there's, there's always a level of ugliness when it comes to change. 
You know, I mean, we didn't have the the civil rights wasn't just a walk over Selma Bridge. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So there's an interesting dynamic here with this election where it seems like putting slates together, kind of like what we're do- trying yes. to do, yeah, yeah. is is advantageous yeah. because you can all help each other yes. rather and, than warring against yes. each other. Yes, no, no, no. And I am actually, I'm very open to slates. I've had a couple of limited conversations with other candidates. And I can tell you this, all the candidates that I've, I've talked to so far, we're all in it because we all care. This isn't just people, the candidates I've talked to, we're not just in it for political power or to get our name out. We want to affect real change. Yeah. And so I'm very open to uh, running in slates or uh, supporting other candidates from other districts or even candidates in my district. We're all running an, an agreement together like, hey, this is what we want to do for our district. I have no problem with saying, you know what, vote for me and this person. Right. Vote for us. Now, there is a, a person running in your district who appears to be in the pocket of big business. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I had a conversation with her. Um, she seems genuine. I have, do not know enough to say, you know. And neither do I yeah. yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have had a conversation with her. She's in my phone. I probably could call her right now in the middle of this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, but uh, we'll leave that for people to do their own right. research. I, on. I will say this though: the conversation I had with her was 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 good. It was a good conversation. Okay, great. Well, this has been a great conversation. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Okay, yeah. But before I do, I'm going to go back, like standard job interview. But like sure. you were talking about strengths. Yes. So what what strengths do you feel like you're going to you're going to bring to um, this campaign and to this role? Well, strengths of this campaign is that I can and will listen to everybody that's willing to talk to me. I do not care what your political background is. One of the things you learn when you're working in a social service setting is that you meet people where they're at. You don't have to agree with somebody to meet them where they're at. You don't. And you don't have to agree to with everything they say to hear them. Mm-hmm. Okay, And what that also translates and how I'm going to run my role when I'm elected in the city council, we need real people tackling real problems, making real changes. And in order to do that, we can't keep electing the same five or six people over and over again who know how to campaign fund yeah. over and over again because that's not going to work. We're seeing that. We're seeing it right now. There's a whole reason why child reform happened because what is happening in City Hall is not working. Yep. So I'm here for the people. I am one of the people, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I am running to bring our voice to city hall so that we can affect directly affect the change that Portland needs to have a better future. Great. Well, uh, David Burnell, uh, candidate in district two for city council in 2024. Uh, so great talking to you and, uh, we will be, uh, watching your campaign as uh, you move forward. Well, I hope we get to have another conversation because this was good. I enjoyed this. Great. So, yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. This has been the Progress Portland Podcast. Our theme music is The Acrobats by the Portland band Helvetia. Please join us next time.